Listen, if I'm a pastor and I've been divorced, if I'm on my second marriage or saving my third marriage and I get up here and I start teaching to you how you ought to have a successful marriage, you know what? It just doesn't jive. It's like a bald man selling hair tonic for hair restoration. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogi. Dr. Brogi is the senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We're looking at the office of elder as we continue our study of 1 Timothy. Today, we look at why God has set some pretty strict qualifications for the man who holds the office of elder. We've already looked at some of those qualifications, including that he be temperate, that he not be addicted to wine, and we touched on the fact that he needs to be the husband of one wife. But since some liberal theologians translate that to mean that it forbids polygamy, we're going to dig a little deeper as we pick up where we left off yesterday. A one-woman man is that kind of a man who's not a flirtatious man. He won't be unfaithful to his wife. He won't have his arms around the sisters. He won't be turning his head every time he sees an attractive woman to do some analysis. You can't have a divided heart and say, thus saith the Lord. He has to be crazy about one woman for life. He has to be absolutely committed to one and only one woman so that even if there are problems, he works harder and he doesn't quit sooner. Listen, if I'm a pastor and I've been divorced, if I'm on my second marriage or saving my third marriage and I get up here and I start teaching to you how you ought to have a successful marriage, you know what? It just doesn't jive. It's like a bald man selling hair tonic for hair restoration. <laughs> now, God wants a man to be able to speak by example with authority and with power to the next generation because he's lived it out. But we need to be careful that we don't make this text of Scripture say more than it says. It does not mean that divorced people are any less equal in the church. It does not mean, as some have indicated, that their reward in heaven will be less. Hey, listen, if every single man in this fellowship met all 15 of these qualifications, actually 22 total in the New Testament, only about 5% ever in their lifetime would serve in the office of elder or deacon. We can't all be chiefs. We need some Indians too. And so to say that divorced people, because they can't serve in the office, will have less reward in heaven, by implication, you'd have to say that 95% of all the Christians who serve the Lord in the body of Christ will have less reward. No, a divorced person can be a missionary, can be a full-time Christian worker, a Sunday school teacher, all things being equal. Divorced people can serve in any ministry in the church except in the office of elder or deacon, the two offices that God has given. Let's be careful, too, that we are fair. You know what a lot of churches do? The only question they ask is, has he been divorced? Look, we're going to see in weeks ahead, there are some other things that also can permanently disqualify a person from the office of elder. And so in giving us these personal qualifications, he says he must be the husband of one wife. In addition, he says he must be temperate, prudent, respectable. Now, these next three words are closely linked together. This first word, temperate, means clear-headed. He's not self-indulgent. It speaks of a person who's able to say no at the mind, though his body and his emotions scream yes. 
He's a person who has a sense of balance. Then he adds prudent. The King James says sober. A man who's thoughtful and wise. A man who's able to take that which he's absorbed in the mind and to flesh it out in daily life practically. The third word is respectable. The King James says good behavior. The RSV says dignified. The Greek word is kosmios. It means well-ordered, well-arranged. It's an expression of a person whose outward behavior reflects inner self-control. And really all three of these words are a trilogy of sorts because each of them bear witness to some degree of self-control in the life. The next qualification, if you'll notice, is hospitable. This is a man who, who manifests an open heart in an open home. He'll do anything that he can in his power and in his resources to help meet the needs of God's people. Then he tells us an elder is to be able to teach. It doesn't say teachable, able to teach, apt to teach, one translation renders it. It's not an adjective, though by, without a doubt a man who is an elder ought to be teachable. When I look for leaders in the church, when I look to hire someone on our staff, the two biggest requirements is they have a heart for God and a teachable attitude. If a man has lost his teachability, he's worthless. He can't be any good to the work of the kingdom of God. He has let his pride get in his way. But an elder is to be apt, able to teach. It doesn't mean that he has to have a speaking gift like the gift of teaching. Now, we will see when we come to chapter 5, some elders, as you would expect, are gifted in that way by God. But it does refer to his maturity in Christ so that he can open the word of God and someone comes to him with an issue of doctrine or a question in his life. He's able to point to scripture and say, well, this is what God says. And that's something that not an elder alone is supposed to do. That's something that you ought to seek to do. Because if you're going to fulfill the Great Commission, Jesus told you, not just me, that we're to teach all that he commanded us. The writer of the Hebrews says, by this time you, speaking of the congregation of Jewish believers to whom he is writing, by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to be able to teach you. They hadn't grown up enough in Jesus Christ where they could take the Word of God and answer basic questions. That's not something that God just calls a professional like me to do. God calls me to model it as an elder to encourage you to do the exact same thing. And by the way, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen by accident. You don't get this sudden burst of zeal and energy. It takes disciplined time, a long time, lingering in the presence of God and in His Word. That's how an elder has the ability to impart the truth of Scripture. And a man who is so weak in his knowledge of Scripture, such that he cannot teach others what God has plainly said, is not qualified to be an elder. And that's one of the problems in so many churches today. You got these men who are leading the church and they're violating basic truths of the word of God. Verse 3 tells us in addition in these personal qualities, an elder is not to be addicted to wine. The Greek phrase literally reads, one who sits alongside of wine. Paul is saying when you see a man who's characterized by sitting alongside a glass of wine, you have found a man who's disqualified himself to be a leader in the church. Now, very clearly, this verse does not teach total abstinence. But if you know your Bible, you would expect that it would not teach total abstinence in light of the first century. 
Now, I'm not going to preach on it this morning. I'll wait until we come to those qualifications for deacons where this one is repeated, and we'll spend a little bit more time on it. But let me just say, two things are forbidden in Scripture. One, to get drunk. The other, to use strong drink. And before you can apply any passage of Scripture to your life, you must first ask, what did it mean to the original audience? And when I understand what it meant to them, then I can make proper application for the 20th century or the 21st century. Strong drink in biblical times, you say, well, that was vodka and beer and, I mean, vodka and whiskey and scotch, right? No, it wasn't that. That didn't come until centuries later. It's raw, fermented wine. God said, don't ever use it. Now, how did they use it in the first century? Well, the water was often impure to drink. It would make you sick, and so they would constantly, so they wouldn't continually, especially as they traveled, have to boil water. They would add wine to the water, typically anywhere from a 5 to 1 ratio as the Didash, a 2nd century manual for pastors in preparing the Lord's table, specifies, or very often 10 to 1, 10 parts water, 1 part wine. It killed the bacteria. It was a missionary practice up until the last century to keep you healthy. So for medicinal purposes, as such, it was used. So Paul will write to Timothy later in this epistle, no longer drink water exclusively, probably wanting to be like John the Baptist and others who never touched alcohol to his lips. Don't drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, I'll document it when we come to the deacon after the first of the year. But I think I will be able to show you beyond a shadow of a doubt that anyone who's committed to the totality of Scripture will be one who will abstain from any use of wine or beer. Now, people can join this church and drink wine and beer. And we have people who do that because we see it as an issue of growth and maturity, not a membership issue. But if you're going to sell it and distribute it, you can't be a member. Now, you're welcome to come, but you can't be a member. And I'll show you next time why from the Word of God. Next, he adds that an elder is not to be pugnacious. He's referring to someone who wants to fight, and it's a word that's used in the physical realm. A pugnacious man will hit you, or at least he might wish he could hit you. There are people who, who tend to pick fights, who don't seek reconciliation with those who are wrong. So you can't be pugnacious. In the King James, you can't be a striker. By contrast, he calls you to be gentle, meek. The word does not mean weak. It was a Greek word that referred to strength under control. It was used of a horse that had been broken and bridled, and his strength was, in essence, managed. And so an elder is called to be, notice, uncontentious. He can't be a short-fused individual. He cannot be a hothead. He cannot be a person who is constantly trying to give you a piece of his mind that he can't afford to lose. And you know what? In every church, there are individuals like that. They can't get along with people. And they just kind of move from evangelical church to evangelical church. But as teachers, as elders, we must have composure. Because you will meet people who have problems because where you have people, you have problems and a self-willed person will test you. Next he adds, an elder must be free from the love of money. A man who is in the ministry for the money is a man who has disqualified himself from the ministry. Now I love what God has called me to do, but do you know why I do what I do? It's not for the money. 
You don't, I don't do it because you pay me. You don't really pay me. God pays me. You give your money to God and then he pays me. And I'm grateful that you meet my needs. And you ought to because the Bible says you should. Remember that. <laughs> Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. And the laborer is worthy of his wages. He's not talking about oxes. He's talking about pastors. And he's saying that some elders are to be given double honor. Not just the respect for serving in the office, but because of their calling and gifting by God, a paycheck as well. There are some elders on a board who will earn their living from the gospel, but they are not to be motivated by money. God knows that I would pay to preach the gospel. When this church called me in 1990, I had another church knocking on my door whose salary was twice what this church was. But I came here because God wanted me here. Amen. Thank you, Brother Anthony. <laughs> All right, those are the personal qualifications. Now beginning in verse 4, he goes through the domestic qualifications. He must be one who manages his own household well keeping his children under control with all dignity. And then don't miss the parenthetical expression which follows. The Greeks had a way of putting things in parenthesis. You know there are no periods, commas, explanation marks, parenthesis in the Greek text. The way you communicated that is by the way you structured a sentence. And they would do it very often for emphasis is here. So he writes in verse 5, But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? In other words, if he cannot function, function successfully in a limited realm, don't enlarge it. If he cannot function in his own family, don't put him in a, a position of leadership in the family of God. If his Christianity does not work in his home, don't export it into the church because the church is to be a model, a picture of what moms and dads are to try to build into the lives of their boys and girls. And so Paul, in essence, is saying, look, when you look for a leader in the church, don't simply ask, is he the greatest surgeon or the best attorney in the community? Don't ask, is he the most lucrative businessman in town? Don't ask if he is a man who can cut it with the social elite. Don't ask how many degrees he has after his name. Ask, how does he work in his family? Can he function there? And if a man cannot make godly disciples out of his own children, he is not qualified to try to do it in the church. So having given the elders personal qualifications and the elders domestic qualifications, he includes with the elders relational qualifications. And he looks at these on two realms, in his relationship to God and in his relationship to his fellow man. We read here in verse 6, And not a new convert, lest he become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. A new convert, the Greek word is neophuton. We get our word neophyte from it in English, a novice, literally someone who is newly planted. Maturity in the faith is absolutely essential. A man has to have logged some years in the Christian faith before he can be considered to be an elder. And if you want to put someone on a platform before they are mature, then you want to ruin their lives. And I've seen some good men 
who are secured for heaven, but who have fallen into the same condemnation that the devil did because of pride, because too soon, too fast, they were put on a platform and their head began to swell. Verse 7, he concludes, and he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he may not fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. An elder is to have a good testimony with those outside of the church. He's a fellow that pays his bills on time. He's a man of integrity and honesty. Now, it's not anything new for a Christian to live one way in the church and another way in the world. I heard of one pastor when he was looking for deacons in his church, he would go not to the man's house, but his next door neighbor's house asking where he lived. And many times he would get an earful. Now, sometimes non-Christians can be slanderous, and I admit that. Jesus said, woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so they spoke of the false prophets who went before you. Just yesterday, my wife ran into someone in Walmart, and they said, well, you're the pastor's wife? Well, we heard at your church that your husband requires that anyone who wants to be a member, that they have to produce their W-2s and they have to see precisely how much money is made so to see if they're tithing or not. I've never seen anyone's W-2s in this whole church. There will be slander that will be given of men of God, and that's why Paul's going to give us instruction before he's done in this epistle in that realm. But there are some non-Christians who can really give you some honest evaluation. And they can help you see a whole lot about another person's behavior. That has to be weighed. And so one who does not have a good reputation on the outside is not qualified. We had a man in the last church I was in who raped a woman, went to prison, served there for eight years, got out of prison. He found Jesus Christ as his Savior, and he joined our church. Now, the rape was an awful thing. He will never have a reputation that was good with those on the outside. He's disqualified, at least in that community, for his life from ever serving in the office of elder or deacon. He has to have a good reputation with those on the outside. So having made some of those general observations and some specific qualifications, let me conclude with some realistic applications of this office. Let me give you three applications in closing, closing as we consider uh, the selection of leadership in the church. First, we must be careful in our selection. We need to be careful in our selection. Selecting an elder, or for that matter, any kind of a leader in the church, is no small thing because a church will rise or fall on its leaders. And one of the reasons so many local churches are in such deep trouble is because they have men who are serving who are not qualified to serve. Too often people are selected for very superficial reasons. Oftentimes it's a popularity contest. Someone was here from another church one Sunday and they left their bulletin in the seat and I happened to be walking through in the middle of the week and I picked it up and I noticed that this church had listed all the people, 18 and above, men and women alike, uh, for the office of deacon and you just put a check next to those 10 that you wanted to select for that year. It was a popularity contest. And so in that kind of a setting, too often the choice becomes charisma, likability, attractiveness, and instead of looking at the scriptures, popularity becomes the test. Sometimes people are selected for the office of elder because they've always been in the office of elder. 
But listen, sometimes things change. And sometimes a man who was once qualified becomes disqualified. And when that's the case, he needs to step out, or depending on the polity of the church, he needs to be voted out. In some churches, it's a political thing. You've got people who manipulate or massage the leadership to try to get into a position of power. But well, that's just human shrewdness. That's not godly character. Still others, they're selected to be elders or deacons because they have a lot of money. They're big contributors. You know, it amazes me on some of these Christian boards, a few that I've sat on, how they seem to go after the big money people. Now, it is true that most people with money have it because they know how to manage it well. And they know how to get things done. But that doesn't automatically mean that they're qualified to be an elder. It doesn't mean they're disqualified to be an elder. They have to meet the qualifications as well. We need to go beyond the superficial. We need to look at what is biblical. Third, not only must we be careful in our selection, realistic in our appraisal, uh, we must be realistic in our appraisals. That's the second one. We need to be realistic in our appraisal. Now, no one is perfect. No one but God. We're all sinners. We all live in a fallen world. We all have feet of clay. No one 100% of the time will always perfectly fulfill this checklist. But as a way of life, he ought to. And no pastor, at least in my mind, who's worth his salt, ever feels like he's all that he ought to be. You ought to pray for me. You ought to pray for the elders of this church. Some of us will face a realm of spiritual battle that you will never see in your life. What would it mean in this community if the devil brought this man down? What would it mean in the states where we broadcast Search the Scriptures? Our elders, myself included, need to be prayed for. And finally, I'd like to say to you that we must be sensitive to God's leading. You know, I've learned over the years that very often the qualified people are not always the vocal ones. They're not always the upfront ones radiating with charisma. And so we need to be sensitive to the Lord's leading about almost two years ago, we lost one of our elders. He moved and and then just a few months ago, he went home to be with the Lord. And Charlie Smith, by no means, has been an easy elder to replace. We've, um, we've sought the Lord, myself, in, in much prayer and fasting in these last two years. You have to be sensitive to God. In God's grace, we believe he's shown us a replacement. God will provide leadership for his church if we will seek him. Now, these are great qualities. You know, I, I don't know of any other book in the world that talks like this. We're talking about character here. We're talking about real men, real leaders Something that men and women alike should aspire to in terms of character qualities. But they start with a new birth. You have to have a new birth. You have to have the Holy Spirit within you, having made you a new creature. And then you have to grow in Jesus Christ. 
And you grow in Christ by associating yourself as one of God's sheep in a flock called the local church. Now look up here and, and let me ask you this morning. Are you one of Christ's sheep? I mean, are you? Jesus said, I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Eternal life is a gift. But having received that gift, you follow Christ. Have you heard his voice? Have you heard the voice of the chief shepherd? And you said, Lord Jesus, as much as I am, I give myself. I trust you as my Savior and my Lord. Are you saved? Do you know it? And have you made it public? You say, Pastor, I am one of his sheep. I know that I know that I know that I am a child of God and destined for heaven. Well, wonderful. Are you a part of a flock? Have you identified yourself with a local church and put yourself under the authority of elders to shepherd your soul? If you haven't, you ought to. Let's stand for prayer. Now, our Father, we thank you for your word, which is alive, a lamp under our feet, a light under our path, I thank you that you have committed to us a destiny to walk in. You've given us a commission. You've committed yourself to work in us, a work that you said you would complete. But we thank you that you've called us to participate with you in this thing we call salvation and growth and maturity. But I know, Father, that no one can ever even begin to grow until they're born from above. You said it three times over that unless a man is born twice, unless he is born again, unless he is born spiritually, that he will never see heaven. He will never enter the kingdom of God. And Father, I'm sure this morning that there are some here watching or listening who have never been birthed from above. They have aspired to heaven through their own deeds, but they've never yielded themselves as a sinner and received the payment for their sins through the blood of the cross. You said whoever will call upon his name will be saved. And I pray today, Father, for some helpless, hopeless sinner that they would see that there is hope in Christ, that he fully paid their debt, that if they would call upon him today, he would save them right now. Have you ever done that in faith? You must believe what God said. And if you will believe in the Lord Jesus, he will save you right now. Would you say to him, Lord Jesus, save me? And Father, for those of us that know you, thank you for your unwavering commitment to build the character of your Son in us, that we might be a light in the midst of darkness, that we might be salt in the midst of a corrupting world. Help us as elders to rule well, knowing that when we face the chief shepherd, we will give an account. Father, Help someone today who has never been baptized to take that step of obedience, to decide today that they're going to do what's right. And still others who have never become a member of a New Testament church and they need a church home, help them to come. For Christ's sake we ask it. Amen. To listen again to today's message on the Office of Elder from our study in the book of 1 Timothy, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. 
You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program 1TM7. Tomorrow we continue our look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and examine the qualifications of deacons. Join us then as we search the scriptures.